The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people, live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. and talk on this Tuesday. Very excited to have with us the director of the United Steelworkers District 4, Dave Wasura. Now, he represents members across the states of Connecticut, Delaware, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, Vermont, and the territory of Puerto Rico. So we're talking about all of New England, Jersey, New York, and Puerto Rico as well. And he began his career as a fourth generation metal worker in Buffalo, New York. And when he followed in his father's footsteps and took a job at the American Brass Facility, since then he's led political and organizing efforts in addition to bargaining contracts across a wide variety of industries. To find out more about the steelworkers, go to usw.org. Follow them on X, formerly Twitter and Instagram at steelworkers, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash steelworkers. Uh, Mr. Wasura, thank you for joining us this afternoon and welcome. Hi, Leslie. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And excited to have you with us. Uh, my grandfather is on both sides and my, and my, uh, my great-grandfather on one side. My mother's uh, father and grandfather and my father's father were all sheet metal workers. I know, but you were a metal worker in Buffalo. And of course, I used to live in Buffalo. Uh, I don't know if you remember me back then in the day. <laughs> but, absolutely. Um, no, absolutely. This is like coming home again. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So it's it, 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 it's sort of like, uh, you know, you and I have that Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation thing going. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people have six degrees of separation from Buffalo, New York, which is fantastic. So I agree with I agree with you a hundred a hundred percent. Um, you know, when you look at unions and what they've been doing, and specifically the United Steelworkers Union, uh, the USW has fought for contracts, and they produce you know better pay, better working conditions, and they certainly produce well documented benefits. And, and not just for their workers, but for their surrounding communities. And having a voice on the job, a collectively bargained contract, that helps, you know, reduce problems in the workplace, that helps to get those good wages and health care and pensions, vacation pay. Uh, but it also benefits that surrounding community because it helps to reduce economic inequality, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, where I'm from in Buffalo, it's, you know, it's a, a small community in North Buffalo. Um, most of the workers worked within 10 minutes of the facility, um, you know, and, and we all kind of went to work together, right, and and grew up in that neighborhood and followed in our, our parents' footsteps. And, you know, what, what you end up seeing is the community growing up around these these factories. And, and the best way to be able to do that is with, you know, good paying union jobs that that talk about, you know, future and, and health and safety and, and, and bargained wages. 
um, which then rises all boats, right? And and that money gets spent back in the community. And and the other thing we were able to do is is have a voice in safety and health when it comes to uh, the places that we work in, right? Um, you know, we we go to work every day for eight to ten hours, uh, sometimes twelve and, and longer, and and then we go back to the communities that we live in. So of course we want those those workplaces to be as safe and as healthy as possible. Yeah, and in addition, uh, not only reducing economic equality, but for the surrounding areas, you know, and and that whole community when you have union workers and they have, you know, a successful collective bargaining sit down and agreement is reached, you know, a contract is signed, you know, they have higher wages. And that that raises wages for all of the industry in the surrounding area, even non-union sometimes, and certainly for whole industries. Um, but like I said, not only let the unionized facilities, right? I mean, so, you know, unions are actually raising wages for non-union workers as well. That's right. There's there's a competitiveness that employers need to have, right? They need to be able to attract employees. They they all have their own groups that that they meet with and talk about wages. They they know what they are in union facilities and non-union facilities, and and that ends up raising wages. And then you know on on the other side of that, you know as you know, unions were instrumental in the fight for 15 and, and getting minimum wage passed, and and you know there's a lot of education that needs to be done around that, especially in, you know, in, in manufacturing sectors where you say, well, you know, we're making way above minimum wage. Why, why would we need to worry about that? And, and having conversations saying, well, if minimum wage goes up, you know, people have more disposable income. They can, they can buy the products that we produce and that will in turn, you know, business will go up and wages will go up for us as well. And then, you know, we also in, in the United steel workers represent thousands of public sector workers. And what that does to the community and putting money back into the community allows them to to gain better wages and, and more stability and help school districts. There's there's many layers to to what a good union community can provide for for workers and families. Yeah, the EPI, the Economic Policy Institute, um, you know, has many studies on this, and one found that unions give workers a voice in shaping their communities. And that includes increased civic engagement, more focused political power for working families. Uh, it's a win-win-win all around because you have, uh, you know, the wages. Obviously, you're improving the surrounding community because there's job creation. Uh, there are wages that are increased, not just at the union, but also the non-union facilities because they raise the bar. Um, but then there's there's more civic engagement and then there's more power among the community um, you know, with their elected officials or to change who their elected officials are to benefit them. Uh, and that that all comes back to, again, the unions and the unions fighting for their workers. And it has that rippling effect, a positive rippling effect throughout the community with everyone. Yeah, I, and I, I firmly believe that. And, you know, it's it's who's going to be there for the working class and who's going to stand up for the working class. And, you know, whether that be Democrat or Republican, you know, it, it has to be who's going to do what's best for the communities that they live in and, and help people provide sustainable jobs and livelihoods for their families. At the end of the day, the most important thing we can do is, as community members is to make sure that people can support their families and people can feed their families and send them to good, safe schools in the community. And, and union communities and union facilities and union workers work towards that almost in lockstep. Yeah, absolutely. But we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, union members are members of the community. Union members not only want, you know, 
job creation for themselves before that community. Union members want everything to be better for their community, you know, across the board. Because, you know, this isn't like somebody, you know, the, the these, you know, corporate CEOs who fly into an area like Buffalo and may not live there. These union members live in this community. They're living in Buffalo. They're living in the surrounding areas or any uh, city or town where the union is and the union workers are. Um, so they have a stake in this, right? They have a stake not just in their job, but in their well-being and the community's uh, well-being because everything that works for them with unions, like a health care plan and you know better working conditions, that has, again, that ripple effect on the long-term health and the welfare um, of their community, of the place they live in, because you know that's why they have such a huge stake in it. It's not just about their factory and their job. That's right. I, I live five miles from the house I grew up in. I live five miles from the, the, the American Brats plant that I, I worked in for 17 years, and my father worked in for 30, and my great-grandfather worked in for 30. Most of my friends came from the same Buffalo Public School that I attended uh, as a kid, and, and we're all still within, you know, uh, really a, a, sh a short drive of, of where we all came from. And, you know, that's important to us and, and there's real civic pride. And we want to make sure that when we do go back to the old neighborhood, that we're, we're always trying to make it a little bit better. And we're always trying to attract more jobs that come in. And, and that goes along with a skilled and educated workforce and, and being able to sustain that. And I think it's very important to be able to do that to help communities out. Oh, absolutely. It is a very powerful example of that community activism. The nurses at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital, that's in New Brunswick, New Jersey. They were on an unfair labor practice strike for nearly five months last year. And the the dispute, the labor dispute really came down um, to community, how nurses could best continue providing top quality care for their patients over the long term. Staffing was a concern across the healthcare industry, even before the pandemic, and obviously COVID stretched the system even thinner. Uh, before we go to break, uh, less than a minute, quick thoughts on that. Yeah, this was a, a big, big, uh, in, important fight that you're seeing all across the, the labor community, right? And, uh, fortunately for us, we have, we have about 1,700 uh, wonderful nurses who who take pride in their job, they take pride in their community, and and really love their patients and want to do what's best for them, um, and and provide the best possible care to make sure people get sent home and, and healthier than what they came in and safer than what they came in, and and you know this was something that needed to happen. Um, I think it's a growing trend, and I think we'll start seeing more of that. But couldn't be prouder of our nurses at Local 200 Robert Wood Johnson Hospital. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Mr. Dave Wasera, director of USW District 4. The website for USW is USW.org. Follow them on X and Instagram at Steelworkers and on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Steelworkers. Back in a moment. And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. We are back with Dave Wasera, director of USW District 4. We are talking about not just union issues, but we've just been talking about how union members and their fights and the unions and their successes ripple throughout the community with regard to wages and health care and benefits, um, civic uh, leadership and involvement and political leadership and involvement in that as well. Go to the website usw.org on X and Instagram. Follow them there at Steelworkers on Facebook. Go to facebook.com forward slash Steelworkers. Uh, Mr. Wasera, uh, thank you for holding and welcome back. Um, we you. were t we mentioned before the break the Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital 
um, the nurses who were on strike after unfair labor practices for nearly five months in New Brunswick, uh, New Jersey. And the sticking point in that, the nurses' negotiation, really wasn't wages or health care benefits. It was enforceable, safe staffing standards. I mean, you know, I think a lot of us have seen, certainly during the pandemic and since, you know, there are staffing issues in, in some industries and, you know, in some communities still. Um, so, so that's very interesting and very specific to the point that we were making and talking about before the break, that this wasn't about I want more for me, money or healthcare, this was literally, I want more for our patients, more staffing, enforceable, safe staffing standards for the best interest of our patients in the community. That speaks volumes. Yeah. And, and listen, um, just, this is obvious, right? <laughs> but for generations, nurses have always been heroes and, and doctors have always been heroes. Um, they, they, they take people at their their worst times and and live their lives to really just do everything they can to to make them better and um, I think we saw that even more during the COVID pandemic, but also you know this is this is something that's going to continue after the pandemic and what is what does that profession look like um, going forward to make sure that we have the staffing ratios that that nurses deserve that. You couldn't have said it any better. This wasn't about their their personal interests or or bettering themselves. It was, I need more help on my job so I can help people save and and save their lives. That's what the fight was about. It was about making sure that they were safe at the workplace as, as nurses and had the help that they needed, and that the patients that came in didn't have to wait for attention, didn't have to wait for care, that they could be seen quickly and and seen properly, where somebody wasn't forced to rush off to the next patient, that they could actually spend time with with the people that were right in front of them. Absolutely. And, you know, it's incredibly you know, obvious, like you said, incredibly important for healthcare workers and their workplace health and safety. Having enough staff um, helps with another systemic problem. And I think people forget, especially there was an increase during and post-COVID, and that is violence in the workplace. And uh, medical professionals um, certainly have their share of that typically not coming from coworkers, typically coming from patients, whether they're high on drugs or not in their right mind. Um, so when you, ha- when you have enough staff, it, it, can, it, it can prevent workplace violence. And workplace violence is a very real issue in the United States of America, not just in healthcare, but certainly in healthcare, we see a lot of it. Yeah, and that's the second. That's another part of the struggle, right? I mean, I, I can't imagine what it must be like to have to go into, you know, a healthcare facility every day, and um, you know, worry about saving people's lives, and 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 knowing that you know you're you're going to face some pretty awful circumstances. But then also having in the back of your head that you know something could go wrong at any moment, and there could be workplace violence, and and you don't feel safe, and and you don't feel protected. But being able to make sure that you're not the only one in an area and you're not the only one in a, in a section of the hospital where if something does go wrong, you have help there immediately to make sure that you are as safe as we possibly can be. And, and the situation can be handled where it, it gets done before it's too late and, and something very awful happens. Uh, most definitely. Also, you know, especially in healthcare, uh, I'm married to a healthcare professional and I know it's during COVID and I, and I even know post-COVID with staffing issues, 
um, there's a lot of burnout. And if you have safe staffing and proper staffing, it can help to reduce burnout. Uh, that helps maintain staffing levels. It helps with the churn that can impact impact not just the workers, but certainly the patients. I don't think any of us want to go under the knife with a surgeon that's burnt out. I don't think any of us want to be treated by, you know, a nurse, uh, you know, a lab technician, phlebotomist, whichever they are in the healthcare industry, if they're burnt out. Not that they wouldn't do their job well, but, you know, we want we want everybody to get proper rest, you know, proper nutrition. Uh, you can't do that if you're covering two and three shifts because you don't have enough staffing and you don't want to let the patients down. That's right. And, and I think if you've ever been in, you know, if anybody's been in a hospital, which which most people obviously have, whether it's for themselves or, or a loved one, and, you know, you can see in, in the faces and in the eyes of the healthcare professionals who are just, you know, doing the absolute best that they can to, but you, you can see that burnout in them and, and, and you, you feel for them because they're there taking care of you or your loved one. And, you know, I remember uh, about a year and a half ago, my father was in the hospital and, you know, my father being again, steel worker and, and, and union member, the first question he had, he had talked about was, you know, is this a union hospital? And, and they said, yes, we're, you know, we're, we're union workers. It wasn't Robert Wood Johnson hospitals here in Buffalo, but, you know, and, and he, that made him feel more comfortable. And he talked about the union and they talked about to him about the fights that their union was taking on to make sure that they had the, all the resources available to be able to help him. And, and those are the conversations we should be having and, and talking about how we take care of our heroes in, in the healthcare sector. Yeah, you know, when we look at the nurses in New Jersey, there was a survey of nurses in Jersey conducted during the pandemic. They found that 64.3% reported burnout, 36.5% reported intent to leave the hospital within a year because they cited that they didn't have adequate PPE, they were physically exhausted, there was short staffing. Um, but this, again, going back to the community, this is a community issue, and this is an issue of community safety, because without enough staff, healthcare workers are forced to choose where do they direct their attention. Uh, they're working through breaks. That's dangerous uh, for levels of exhaustion. And if newer workers don't feel supported, they're, they're not just going to leave that hospital. Uh, they're going to leave the profession entirely, and then we're going to have more of these problems uh, in the future. So fortunately, these nurses took a, a strong stand. They did prevail. It took, you know almost half a year for that to be done. Uh, and they engaged their elected officials to set staffing levels at the legislative level. Comments on that? Yeah, we, we saw some some uh, some elected officials stand up um, and, and and take take the nurse aside and walk with them on the line. And 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 sometimes, you know, it, it's a tougher conversation because Robert Wood Johnson Hospital is a very big figure in the community. And and, you know, we, we had to do a lot of education with elected officials and, and some of them did come along and, you know, going back to, to nurses leaving the profession, you know, this, this strike wasn't about pay and, and raising wages, although we, we did get some, some uh, raises in pay. I, I'll say it for them. The people in the medical profession deserve to be the, the, the highest trained, best paid people in the country. They are truly the lifesavers. Uh, that we go to, and, and we need to make sure we're, we're setting people up for the future to be able to uh, to feed their families, but but also make it more attractive to get the best possible people into this industry. Well said. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to travel down south to Puerto Rico, and we're going to talk about some union workers and situations going on there. Stick around. Like I mentioned, that uh, Dave, director of USW District 4, he represents members across all these various states we're talking about, like New Jersey, 
but also the territory of Puerto Rico. More about that with him. Dave Wasira, director of USW District 4, coming up after this. Go to the website to check out more about USW, USW.org, on X and Instagram. Follow them at Steelworkers and on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Steelworkers. And we are back. We are me, Leslie Marshall, and our guest, Director of USW District 4, Dave Wasura. Uh, Dave represents members across the states of Connecticut, Delaware, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, Vermont, all of uh, New England and New Jersey and New York, but also the territory of Puerto Rico. We're going to talk about that. But first, check out the website, USW.org, on X and Instagram. Follow them there at Steelworkers. And on Facebook, go to Facebook.com forward slash Steelworkers. Like and follow, and you'll get a lot of information there. Maybe you want to be one of these communities that benefits from all they do, or a worker in your workplace. Um, you know, another, um, uh, uh, Mr. Wasser, another very different, although equally important example, um, are the union workers in, in Puerto Rico. And they are a commonwealth uh, of the United States, uh, been fighting for, you know, citizenship for years, uh, not citizenship, excuse me, um, for statehood uh, status uh, for years. Um, but people forget that, you know, they're, they're a part of this country. They're a part of our workforce being a commonwealth. And a little more than a year ago, the governing board of the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority voted to move forward to privatize the island's power grid. And, you know, when you look at what happens in that section of the world, you have so many natural disasters. You had Hurricane Maria. And Hurricane Maria really exposed the vulnerability um, of that island, of that power grid. Since then, there have been widespread blackouts. Sometimes it lasts a week at a time. So the decision to privatize hasn't improved the system. It's done quite the opposite. So not just workers, but the entire community, the young, the elderly, are all vulnerable to this privatization of this uh, power grid on the island of Puerto Rico. Yeah, it's. It's really a shame of what's going on on the island. I, I've been fortunate enough since I've been in, in various positions with the USW over the last probably 10 years to, to be able to, to go to the island and, on a number of occasions and, and sit with workers and sit with families and sit with community leaders. And, and you know, it, it seems like at every turn that they're, they're facing more, more and more uh, problems and, and more and more hills to climb and um, you know, after Maria, the devastation on the island and the years it took to really get back on their feet, in, in no small part to the, the federal government not stepping up and, and, and stepping in and helping out uh, our citizens on the island, um, th this decision to, to privatize the, the, the electrical grid and, and, and the energy sources has, has been really bad. Um, you know, we're looking at austerity measures all over the island. We're not putting our communities first. And, you know, the only way that that's going to be able to change is, is through unionization. And, you know, we've just done affiliation agreements with, with an independent union to, to help strengthen their political muscle and their bargaining power on the island to make sure we can move people forward and, and build a more reliable uh, power grid down there where, where people are the first thought, not, not cost. Yeah, but, you know, people may not realize that workers in Puerto Rico began joining the USW more than 50 years ago. Municipal workers in Ponce and Juana Diaz, healthcare workers at Hospicio La Guadalupe and Medcentro, and workers at Alonso and Caras Ironworks, uh, who supply steel for major building projects. Now, I know you guys at the USW are proud of this long, uh, rich history 
um, with the island of Puerto Rico and with these USW workers. I know you're doing everything that you can to ensure a brighter, brighter future for the workers uh, and uh, for their communities. Um, so uh, let, let's talk about your affiliation with UEPI. This was last year, this affiliation with the USW and UEPI, one of the primary energy unions there in Puerto Rico, correct? Correct, yeah. And and it's really this affiliation agreement is is kind of historic of what this could look like for the future of, of the island. And, you know, uh, just to talk a little bit about our, our rich history on the island, when, when I say I've been down there um, and been fortunate to be there, I, I every time I get there, it feels like going home um, because you're amongst family when you're there. And, and obviously where I come from in Western New York, it's a, a very strong labor community, the Northeast, obviously, but there is a different feeling on the island with solidarity and pride of unionism um, that that our members have down there. And and they have all jumped uh, to the forefront to help out UEPI uh, in this fight. We're, we're going to take a look at, at building relationships down there with, with them and making sure that they have the tools necessary to be able to go to the bargaining table, to be able to, to negotiate good health and safety language good wages, good benefits, and good health care to, to make sure that we, again, much like with the nurses, are attracting the best possible people into these into these professions. Yeah, and that's why, you know, you guys joined with the UEPI, so you could aid in, in the fight to upgrade Puerto Rico's energy system, um, so you can help workers, you can help uh, the communities. Um you guys at the USW have a lot of experience uh, in the energy sector. You have resources, you have connections with federal agencies. Um, can this help to modernize Puerto Rico's, not just their grid, but their infrastructure? Because obviously it's badly needed. This island constantly gets hit almost on an annual basis uh, with the hurricanes and other natural disasters. I, I think so, Leslie. I, I think, you know, we have a, a wonderful office in, in Washington, D.C. with great lobbying experience. We have good connections with the Department of Energy. We can shine some lights on what's going on down on the island, make sure that the resources that are needed are being diverted there, making sure that once those resources are there, they are being put to the best possible use to to be able to rebuild the infrastructure, rebuild the, the power grid, to make sure that every corner of the island um, is is being touched by this this renewal and 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 sustainability of of power, um, not just you know in, in the larger cities, but when you get into the hills and when you get into the south of the island and and you get into cities like Ponce, um, to make sure that everybody there has has the power that they need because then you know you, you had mentioned we we meant we represent workers at the hospital at MedCentro and. You know, that goes back to being able to provide quality care. You have to have reliable resources. You have to have reliable care. You, you have to have reliable power going into the schools to give the children the best advantage they can have. Without question. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, in preparation for the show, I was looking up the privatization of the uh, grid in Puerto Rico. Here, here are some of the headlines, and this is worldwide. Privatized grid unlikely to save Puerto Rico ratepayers from disastrous debt restructuring plan. Um, widespread skepticism on privatizing power. Uh, national, uh, the privatization of Puerto Rico's power grid mired in controversy. Um, outrage, rekindle, and anger over Puerto Rico's privatized electric grid. Um, and, and the list just goes on and on and on. And if you look up 
Reuters has a, a great piece about what's happened to Puerto Rico's power grid since Hurricane Maria. And it's not better, which you think, you know, certainly if 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 you're going to if you're going to switch from Peter to Paul. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you expect improvement. Right. And that that's not what they got. Um is it fair to say that the issue of the electric grid is quite literally life and death? Because I know the steel workers, the USW, um, are proud uh, to assist and, and help aid in this fight. Is it fair to say, or am I being dramatic, that this is literally life and death? No, I, I don't. I don't think it is dramatic at all. It's, it's very fair to say. And, and you know, when when people don't have the resources that they need, their their lives are in danger. It's you know, here in the Northeast, we talk about the cold winters and, and the hot summers, but there's they don't have the cold winters, but they still need to have reliable electrical because of the temperatures that, that come down there. Their hospitals need reliable uh, power to, to be able to run the, the hospitals there. And, you know, we have seen all too often, whether it's it's, you know, in, in some states here in America or it's, it's in the islands or it's any place else really in the country, when you go to austerity measures and you start re- taking away resources and you stop taking away money for infrastructure rebuild, you see people suffer and where they're suffering are in the poorest of the communities and, and, and in the hospitals when they don't know if the lights will be on that week or not, or where's the generators going to come from and are the generators going to be reliable and how are we going to get the equipment we need? I, I, I think it's fair to say that, when you don't have a reliable power grid, you you are always in crisis mode, wondering what what the next problem is going to be and when is it going to come. Yeah, and you know we talk about Hurricane Maria. That was six years ago, and that left large parts of Puerto Rico without power for months. Um, but Hurricane Fiona, you know, that came after knocked out uh, electricity for many uh, across the island. So you know they again they just keep getting hit over and over and slammed. And I would much rather trust the USW than some greedy uh, corporations in the private sector who probably don't even know how to maintain, you know, and certainly upgrade a power grid. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue with Mr. David Wasera. Uh, David is director of USW District 4. Um, We are talking about lots of things. Stick around. One more great segment with him. In the meantime, go to the website, USW.org. On X, formerly Twitter and Instagram, follow them at Steelworkers. And on Facebook, follow them, like them, facebook.com forward slash Steelworkers. Don't go away. When we come back, we're going to talk about some legislation. We're going to talk about legislation in New York that spread to some other states that benefits all communities. We'll be back right after this. And we are back. Director of USW District 4, Mr. Dave Wasura, joins us. Uh, we are talking um, with him about a lot of ways that union unions help communities. If you want to help your community or you want to find out more, go to the website. USW does a lot, not just steel. Uh, USW.org on X and Instagram. Follow them at Steelworkers. And on Facebook, like and follow at Facebook.com forward slash Steelworkers. Well, before the break, I teased a little bit about legislation. Um, and, you know, when I talk about the USW and union workers being a part of and invested and having a stake in their community, we did touch upon politics. And um, members do use their community oriented mindset and their skill uh, for political engagement. 
to advance needed legislation. And uh, that includes bills specifically that we're going to talk about uh, to help uh, veterans. Um, you you guys drafted legislation requiring employers to post official notices of the health, social, and other services that are available in order to support veterans as they build new lives on the home front. You know, I've interviewed a lot of vets from a lot of wars um, in, in my many years as a broadcaster. And, and one thing that a lot of them have in common is the adjustment from, you know, uh, you know, being shot at in a tank in Fallujah to working, you know, in a factory or a manufacturing plant. And a lot of them suffer from PTSD or they have other issues. They're not comfortable to admit them sometimes or to talk about them. So it's of huge importance that there are notices that veterans know there are um, health and, and social and other services available to you, the veteran, uh, that veteran, uh, the worker. Um, can you speak to that? And, and can you speak to that legislation? Yeah, this this was um, one of the most fascinating projects that that really I've been a part of uh, with USW. First, you know, I, I myself am not a veteran, but want to just take one quick second to thank all of the veterans that you have as listeners for, for their sacrifice and their commitment and you know, if, if not for that, we wouldn't be able to do what we do on a daily basis and just really want to recognize that and say thank you on a, on a personal level. Um, th this legislation, really, you want to talk about grassroots. This is the example of, of, of grassroots activism that could help change lives. Um, a few years ago, uh, the USW started our, our Veterans of Steel Committee. Um, every district across the country, there's 12 of them. Um, has a Veterans of Steel coordinator for the district, and, and they run various programs, and they offer various assistance uh, to our locals and, and our veterans at, at the work sites, whether it's in public sector or private sector or, or you know, medical industry and, and, and things we've talked about in the past. And here in District 4, um, we have a, a wonderful program that's done a lot of work in the communities. We've We've raised money to get service dogs for, for our, our veterans. We do a program in Buffalo where we do uh, haircuts for free haircuts for veterans and, and free breakfast. And um, every year we, we hold, and, and, and our Veterans of Steel coordinator, Carrie Eldridge, really runs a, a full program on this. Um, we do a few days where we meet in the center of our district, which is just about Albany, New York. So we go to Albany every year and we do a, a a few day education um, class and and program on on veterans needs and what's out there and available to help and and the way this program runs is it's it's not us going into a room and saying hey this is what you need to know it, the way this program is run is hey what do you need from us and how can we help and and part of that conversation came up of you know every time you go to work no matter where you go to work there is a you know, equal opportunity posting, there is, um, you know, different postings that are required by law, why not a veterans rights posting? And from that moment on, up until uh, Governor Hochul signed it a while, just a while ago, um, the focus was how do we write this language? What input do we get from our veteran members on what's needed? Who are our allies? And then we used it as kind of a learning tool to people who wanted to become interested in the legislative process. Um, we brought people in not only from New York, our members from all across the Northeast into Albany to do lobbying last the last cycle. And 
um, got passed a, a bill that required almost every workforce, every workplace across the state to post these veterans' rights that you talked about. And we're seeing immediate impact because it, it you're right, it, it doesn't mean somebody has to go to somebody to get help. They can look at it, they can decide for themselves and, and be able to find the help that they need. And um, our, our former international president, Tom Conway, um, and then and now with international president, Dave McCall has charged uh, the directors to, to get the same legislation passed in every state. And we're starting to see that now here in here in my district, we have Maine uh, that's passed legislation. New Hampshire, it was just introduced on the floor. It's working in Connecticut and New Jersey, too. And, and we're starting to see it spread across the country. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because, I mean, first it, it passed in your state of, of New York. And uh, like like you mentioned, you know, these are programs to help to ease that transition back into civilian life. And it is a transition and it's not an easy one. And it also ensures those families and, you know, in a sense, that larger community that they are supported um, after they gave selflessly um, to our nation. We're willing to, you know, to die for each of us um, that don't serve uh, to have uh, the very freedoms uh, that we have in this wonderful nation, the United States. Um I, I was proud to see the USW uh, standing with uh, New York governor, the New York governor when she signed her state's uh, bill into law, as you mentioned. And you guys passed it first there in New York. You mentioned it passed in Maine. It's on the floor in New Hampshire. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Hasn't it passed in Louisiana and Minnesota? And there's like a handful of other states um, that it's being introduced in? Yeah, we're, we're seeing this. You're, you're right. Um Louisiana, Minnesota, we're, we're starting to see this really take off. And um, I'm sure it'll be coming soon to Pennsylvania. And it, it's it's the right things to be talking about. And it's a good way to engage our membership and the community, because we also had community allies that worked along with this and, and, and really show what the power of the union is. This isn't, this is something that's positive that can help people's lives and be, you know, trans, transformations for people not like you know what we're seeing now in New Hampshire on the flip side of it of having to fight right to work again yeah. and, and taking benefits and wages away from workers. This is how do we support our, our our veterans? How do we support our members? How do we give them the tools that they need to 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 transition back to a workforce that that may be a little bit foreign to them? You know, do you guys? Well, for, first of all, this is this is a prime example of how this is something that I don't think people think of when they think of unions and what unions do, or specifically the USW, right? Um, and, you know, the, you know, this is something that was exciting for you to work on and rewarding for you to work on. Um, but it, it's, it, it's important that people know about this. That's why we're talking about it today, because unions do so much. And this is not beyond the scope of what a union can do or what a union should do and what you guys have done. Um, and and I, th I think that's awesome because, uh, you know, definitely there are some stereotypes or some, some people that just limit what they think uh, unions can do. And you guys showed, you know, beyond uh, the, you know, your limitations, there aren't the limitations. And, you know, when you care about your workers, it goes far beyond. Uh, it's not just about wages or pension or health care or safe working conditions, um, you know, but it, it, it's to support the whole worker, which, which then in turn supports the whole community. And it's about the, the rising tide lifting all boats, right? This, this is where the, the conversation started today. And 
And, you know, it's about how do we engage in our community? How do we make our, our, our neighborhoods and our, our neighbors and our families and our friends have a, a shot at a better life? And, you know, it's, it's why we're so involved with United Way. It's why we're so involved with worker centers. It's where can we raise our hand and say we want to be a part of the solution and, and, and it gives workers a, a much better shot at a, a better life and communities that same shot and school districts and, and, and our public sector workers. And it's, it's the, the right fight and it's, the, it's the fight that needs to happen, especially with some troubling times, maybe ahead um, and, and workers rights being stripped away. We, we have to stand up for, for those around us and for those that we will never meet. You know, my, my great grandfather was part of the organizing campaign at our facility. He didn't know that he would have never have met the workers that are there now, but because of his activity and his vote, has given a much better life for the, the people that I worked with. Quick yes or no. It's passed in New York, Louisiana, Maine, and Minnesota. A handful of other states have it on the floor. You mentioned New Hampshire. Uh, do you guys at the Steelworkers intend to keep this going until all 50 have this legislation? All 50. That, that's an easy yes for us. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being with us today, Director of USW District 4, Dave Wasura. Like I mentioned, he, mem he represents members across the states of Connecticut, Delaware, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, Vermont, and the territory of Puerto Rico. Go to the website usw.org to find out more. On X and Instagram, X formerly Twitter, for those of you who still aren't used to hearing it, I'm not used to saying it, uh, but on X, formerly Twitter, and on Instagram, follow them there. Their handle is at Steelworkers. And on Facebook, go to facebook.com forward slash Steelworkers. Like them there, follow them there. I thank you for joining us today. I want to thank our executive producer, Marky Mark Romaldi, and all of you who listen and watch each and every day throughout the nation and throughout the world. Have a good one.